0: Chapter 11, and we'll just get it out again, and we will just look at it in a few moments. Uh, I have a few things which I want to say to you regarding other things that have happened in the world this week. I don't know whether you are, you listen to our own correspondent on Radio Four. I think it's I think it's a great programme. Its correspondents from around the world give uh, a little. Five or ten minutes each on a program which goes out mainly on the Saturday morning, but some other day during the week. I'm not too sure when. There was an interesting report on it yesterday. It was a report from America by one of the BBC correspondents, and he said he could see a softening of evangelical America. It was not so much anti-abortion, not so much pro. Iraqi war. Instead it has now changed to things like human rights and the environment. Now some of the extreme right anti-abortionists, no one could condone what they did and what they have done in their fight for anti-abortion. But nevertheless we do see a trend in churches worldwide and headed by people like Rick Warren and others where there is a smudging of the edges of evangelical churches. All leading into ecumenism and supported by many here in the British Isles. More what they call user-friendly churches. You find out what the people want and you you give them what they want, not necessarily what scripture says. And on that I saw an article by a fellow called... Rich Chiswick and he was a Vice President of uh, for Governmental Affairs for the National Association of Evangelicals in America and he was speaking at the very liberal uh, National Cathedral in Washington and he said that God will judge those who resist the global warming campaign God will judge them and he used the verse actually in Hebrews to try and justify this. He said it applied to those who don't try to save the environment. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He said that if we don't impose measures quickly we will face dramatically rising sea levels and unprecedented natural disasters see this man is confused, the only global warming that the New Testament warns about is the coming judgment of this world by fire, and the same passage that warns about that says that the only reason God is withholding judgment is to save men's souls. The Lord Jesus did not commission his people to save the earth, but to save souls, and there needs to be a great urgency to that task before the day of salvation, because it could end at any time. And going on from that, there was a, another interesting article in the Daily Mail, but there was another uh, excerpt from what was a former British government adviser, and he was applauding world population collapse in the developing countries, the developed countries. Global populations have been falling dramatically and few countries of the developed world have a fertility rate higher than bare replacement level. What he's saying is that the, the, the birth rate in the developed world is not holding up. It's only just about keeping pace. And whereas the rate in developed countries is between 0 and 2.4 children born per woman whereas the bare minimum replacement level is 2.1 but with this in mind the Daily Mail had an interesting article and it says that British women have been so completely indoctrinated by the environmentalist anti-human doctrines that they are foregoing motherhood including by aborting their children for the planet. And they had an interview uh, by Daily Mail's Natasha Courtney Smith, and he interviewed a woman, 35-year-old, Tony Vernelli, an environmentalist and a vegetarian. She said she had an abortion and had herself sterilized rather than bring a child into the world. The exceptionally negative environmentalist creed was summed up by Tony Vernelli. Every person who was born uses more food, more water, more land, more fossil fuels, more trees and produces more rubbish, more pollution, more greenhouse gases and adds to the problem of overpopulation. Her husband, she said, agreed with her conviction. We both passionately wanted to save the planet, not produce a new life, which would only add to the problem. Well, amazing! This chap, who sent me this, he says, "Isn't it interesting that these people never end their own lives in order to save the planet, but they're quite prepared to extinguish the life of their unborn baby?" And if atheistic evolution is true, saving the planet is an entirely meaningless act. And you know, churches are going along with a lot of this nonsense. So much error around. And I was struck by this little booklet talking about uh, the error in churches. Nobody's speaking out. It says, the desperate need of the hour is for another Charles Haddon Spurgeon to sound the alarm and to raise the banner of God and fight the foes of the gospel. It was Spurgeon's battle with the religious Philistines that broke his heart and sent him to an early grave. It was the failure of evangelical leaders to stand with him in stemming the awful tide of false doctrine in evangelical circles that caused him to pass through great conflicts with Satan which few have ever experienced. We had that conference in the EC recently and one of the environmentalists uh, he cried on the stage because a decision wasn't reached. But we don't get any Christians crying because of the way the churches are going just a couple of things which i think were worth mentioning now we we'll turn to deuteronomy it's always nice to turn away from those things to deuteronomy chapter 11 and we read from verse 13. deuteronomy 11 13 and it shall come to pass if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments which i command you this day to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season the first rain and the latter rain that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil and I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle that thou mayest eat and be full take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them and then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you and be sh- and he shut up the heaven that there be no rain and that the land yield not her fruit and lest ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you therefore in order to stop that happening therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a the sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes and ye shall teach them your children your speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way when thou liest down and when thou risest up and I shall write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied, and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them, as the days of heaven upon earth. Take a note of that the days of heaven upon earth. For ye shall diligently keep all these commandments which I command you to do them, to love the Lord your God to walk in all his ways and to cleave unto him, then the Lord will drive all. then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and ye shall possess greater nations and mightier than. Yourselves, And I think that will do us uh, for our reading this morning. Last week we, we looked at some of these things and we saw how the rain that God had promised on the land would produce fruitful crops. We have an old Irish blessing. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. The rains fall soft upon your fields. The sun shine warm upon your face and until we meet again may God hold you in the hollow of his hand the sun and the rain are so essential for to produce crops the rains fall soft upon your fields sowing seed and hoping for fruit is pointless and hopeless unless God sends his rain and if there is no fruit then there is a famine. We see this practically every day across the world. Starving, man-formed children daily on our television screens because of famine. There's no rain. And so, in our churches and fellowships, unless God sends his blessing on our ministry, we will have no fruit and the result there is a famine a famine as scripture foretold in Amos 8 uh, and verse 11 there's a verse behold the days come saith the Lord God that I will send a famine in the land not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water but of hearing the words of the Lord do we not see that across many churches around the world today 2 Timothy 4 for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables see God wants every Christian to be a fruitful Christian from creation from creation God spoke in multiplication tables he didn't speak in additional tables one and one or two one and two or three he spoke in multiplication Genesis 9 verse 1 God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth said again verse 7 of chapter 9 and you be ye fruitful and multiply bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein God speaking to Abraham and God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee that there may, mayest be a multitude of people Genesis 35 11 about Jacob and God said unto him I am God Almighty be fruitful and multiply, a nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come forth out of thy loins, multiplication, that's what God's in the business of multiplying, I suppose I was thinking about this, and I digressed a bit, but you'll have to bear with me, we've all grown potatoes maybe, or we've seen potatoes growing. I remember when I was a kid, it was quite a ritual, when my father dug the first plant on the first drill of potatoes, and we would collect them, and you know, looking back it always seems as if it was a lovely, a lovely evening when we did that, but obviously we didn't do it in the rain, we could choose the evening, but it always seemed a nice evening when this happened. And, we would bring the potatoes in and mother would boil them and we would have them with plenty of butter, new potatoes and butter was lovely but how disappointed we would have been if when we dug up the plants instead of finding 10 or 12 white potatoes waiting to be picked there was only one by providing the seed With pure rain, as long as the rains came, the result should always be multiplication. That's the way God has planned it. He ordained it at creation that the the plants, the animals and man were to multiply and replenish the earth. And you know spiritually this principle still applies. The parable of the sower exemplifies this. The seed of the word of God planted in man's heart should multiply and produce fruit. Sadly, some only produce leaves. Lots of apparent future growth, but underneath, nothing. No fruit to multiply. We were reminded of a hymn a few months ago, and I repeat it again. The Master is seeking a harvest. In lives, he's redeemed by his blood. He seeks for the fruit of the Spirit and works that will glorify God. He looks for his likeness reflected in lives that are yielded and true. He's looking for zeal in the winning of souls he's entrusted to you. He's yearning for someone to carry the life-giving word far and near he's waiting for hearts that are willing for ears that are open to hear but then is he getting that nothing but leaves for the master oh how his loving heart grieves when instead of the fruit he is seeking we offer him nothing but leaves I was thinking about this last night how serious this is really If we're not producing fruit it grieves the heart of God you know way back in 1845 only about 18 years before my grandmother was born there was a Bethesda famine in Ireland If you want to read about it, read Cecil Woodham Smith's book, The Great Hunger. But it was devastating, and the population in Ireland suffered great losses. A million people died, and a million emigrated, mostly to America. That's why you get so many Irish Americans. There are some lessons we could learn from that tragic, tragic event, but just one interesting point in relation to what we have before us today. I read a short account of what happened when the potato blight. It was because of a blight which came onto the potatoes. The famine began, it says, quite mysteriously in September 1845 as leaves on potatoes plants suddenly turned black and curled and then rotted. They thought, you know, they thought it as a result of a fog that had wafted across the fields of Ireland. The cause was actually an airborne fungus originally transported in the holds of ships traveling from North America to England. Winds from southern England carried the fungus to the countryside around Dublin. The blight spread throughout the fields as fungal spores settled on the leaves of healthy potato plants, multiplied and were carried in the millions by cool breezes to surrounding plants. Under ideal moist conditions a single infected potato plant could infect thousands more in just a few days. The attacked plants fermented while providing the nourishment the fungus needed to live, emitting a nauseous stench as they blackened and withered in front of the disbelieving eyes of Irish peasants. There had been crop failures in the past due to weather and other diseases but this strange new failure was unlike anything ever seen. The datas dug out of the ground at first looked edible but shriveled and rotted within days. The datas had been attacked by the same fungus that had destroyed the plant leaves above the ground. You know I thought this was very interesting in relation to producing fruit that God wants you and me to produce fruit you see instead of the pure rain the spores of this deadly fungus rested on the healthy leaves then the potatoes when dug up at first looked healthy but soon withered and were uneatable, inedible and there was a result the result in the whole of the land was famine of pure food and if we look at that spiritually many today disregard sound doctrine and instead of feeding the leaves the tender leaves of the Christians in our churches instead of feeding the leaves sound doctrine they are feeding spores of false religion and instead of producing fruit to the glory of God they're producing dead plants with no nourishment to produce fruit and just as an aside I was thinking about this you know I don't know whether you know anything about blight, but the answer to blight was to spray the plants with something called bluestone Copper sulfate mixed with some various things, and it's sprayed on the leaves of the plants to ward off the blight of the fungus. And I thought this was quite simple. Blue stone. We go through scripture. Anything blue reminds us of heaven, and the blue stone was sprayed onto the leaves to stop the fungus. And the heavenly rain and the heavenly. Uh, message from God is given to the young leaves of young believers it will keep them pure, it will keep them healthy, blue reminds us of the colour of heaven feed our plants with the doctrine which comes from heaven well as I say we digressed a little bit on that but it's all about producing fruit God wants us to produce fruit and so he says In verse 16. Take heed to yourselves. That your heart be not deceived. And you turn aside and serve other gods. And worship them. Take heed. Here is another take heed. We we spoke about take heed before. 55 times in scripture. We get that expression. And in the book of Deuteronomy. 8 times Moses says take heed. This is the third time. We'll have five more after this. When God says take heed, then we should sit up and and take heed. It means to be on one's guard. Not in this instance against the physical enemy, but against spiritual enemies. Be on your guard. Guard your inner man, your mind, your will, your heart, your soul, your understanding. That's what it means guard your, the whole of your, your inner self. Oh, I'm so conscious of taking heed in my own life, and, and I hope you are too. We have, we have alarms in our houses. We put alarms in our cars. We have alarms on our computers. We go into stores, there are alarms. But we need, so often, to take note of the alarms of the Holy Spirit on our consciences. We ignore it. Take heed. When the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Take heed. So let's look carefully at this verse. It says, take heed to yourselves. This is so personal. I so often can see where others should take heed but I am blind as to where I should take heed then it says that your heart be not deceived that you are not deceived the word deceived there means that you are not enticed that you are not persuaded or flattered or allured how easily it is to be enticed by sin by secret sin you know Job if you look at the book of Job Job 31 and verse 27 a very interesting little verse there in Job Job just comes just before the Psalms one of the oldest books in the Bible Job 31 and verse 27 and he's saying all the things that perhaps he, his, his friends were accusing him maybe of, of, of sinning and he said if I had done this or if I had done that then there would be some reason for what has happened to me and one of the things he says is if I beheld the sun when it shined in verse 26 or the moon walking in brightness and my heart had been secretly enticed or my mouth have kissed my hand. What does that mean? Well, some of the people around Joseph, uh, Job in those days, they worship the moon and they worship the sun. And how did they worship the moon and the sun? And well, you know, we do something with children all the time. And this goes right back. This habit we have goes right back the book of Job. You know, when a grandmother or somebody is leaving a little baby and they say bye bye and they kiss their hand and they wave it at the baby. They're saying bye bye. Bye bye. And they wave their hand and kiss their hand. This is what this is about. If I beheld the sun when it shined, or the moon, walking in brightness, and my heart had been secret, if for some reason he was enticed and persuaded for that moment to worship the sun or the moon, how did he do it? Oh, nobody would see it. Kiss his hand and wave it at the sun. How easy it is to be enticed by secret sins that's what he's saying that's what this verse is saying don't be enticed to sin simple and yet of sin James encourages us to take heed but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed and he gives the what happens? That when lust hath conceived it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren, don't be enticed by sin. That's what this verse is saying. Take heed that your heart be not deceived. And it also means to be persuaded falsely. To be persuaded falsely. False doctrines sometimes seem so logical. Remember we spoke of that dangerous goddess called Shirley. This goddess called Shirley. Maybe you don't remember. Maybe you do. We hear of her so often from those who do not take scripture seriously. People will say to you, you. You say to them and they'll say oh I know the Bible says that but surely God won't send good people to hell God says the wicked shall be cast into hell but then people say surely God this goddess, surely surely God won't put people to hell or surely God will give us a second chance Surely God will accept the Buddhists if they are sincere. Surely God will heal anyone who claims their healing. And you can go on. People, you'll tell people something in scripture but they say, oh but surely God will. Beware of being persuaded by surely God. She's a bad goddess. Keep away from her. And then it goes on to say And ye turn aside. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived. And when your heart is deceived. You turn aside. Turn aside. To be deflected. From the way you're going. Scripture says this is the way. If your heart's enticed and deceived. You start swerving away. That's what it means, to swerve away from the way, the proper way. So often when one turns aside, it is not a very clear, distinct turning. But rather, they start to swerve away, slowly, away from the path. A little at first, and then as you swerve, you go further and further away. From the path in which you were going. Until you're farther away from the path than you realize you ever thought you would be. I'm sure you've seen, notice, there's a downward path in this verse. You, your heart is deceived and then you start turning aside. And then, after that, you start serving other gods let not your heart be deceived and ye turn aside and then serve other gods when one leaves the true way then how easy it is to be led or enticed to serve other gods to to serve means one of the meanings is to become enslaved to another god you know we see around us The gods of commerce, the gods of self-efficiency, the gods of business. So many things that can take the place of God in our lives. You know, people saying, oh, I I, I, I just can't get uh, peace of mind. I I have to work seven days a week. We have this expression now. 24-7. 24-7. It's a terrible expression. Well people are doing things 24-7. Every day you meet somebody who's doing something 24-7. They're enslaved to what they're doing. They're serving other gods. What they're doing has become a god to them. Sport. So much. And how subtle. Subtle it is and how easy it is to be duped and to serve other gods and finally having been deceived having turned aside having having becoming enslaved then we end up by worshipping them take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. They eventually lots of these things cut out the worship of the true God in our lives. We need to be very careful. It's a downward path and this downward path has a price. It had to be for the Israelites and it will have a price for us. If we do that then verse 17 comes into operation. If we go our own way and start worshipping false gods and we all know we have things in our lives that we shouldn't be doing, get rid of them. Then it says, The Lord's wrath be kindled against you and he shut up the heaven and there be no rain. And that the land will not yield her fruit. Unless she perish quickly from off the land. Which the Lord giveth you. The rain of God's blessing will cease to fall on our lives. And we will become fruitless. That's what was going to happen to the land of the Israelites. If they strayed away from God. The land was going to have no rain. And we saw in Ireland when the, 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 the clear, pure rain stopped and the fungus fell there was a famine like the useless potatoes, I said here in the Irish famine we shall be totally without fruit and any nourishment for our souls and for those around us therefore, take heed and then it says therefore, because that's likely to happen to avoid this happening Lay up these my words. Take note of my words. Store them in your heart and soul. Now we we looked at these things here in the next few verses when we studied chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. But to go over them recently, you have to store them in your heart and soul. Bind, Bind them upon your arms and between your eyes. Nail them to your doors and gates. Teach them to your children. And talk about them all the time. In other words, saturate yourself with the word of God. And teach your children about the things God has done. What the things God has said and the things that he will do. Teach them. And now, in verse 21, we have it again. God's principle multiplication that your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon earth here God promised that their days in the land would be multiplied and what was it going to be like It was going to be like heaven on earth. What a promise God was giving these people. It's going to be like heaven on earth in this place. The land you're going to, if you obey me, if you keep to my word, heaven on earth. What more could they expect? Our citizenship is in heaven our inheritance is in heaven someday we will claim that inheritance when we arrive in heaven but we may start to enjoy that inheritance here and now did it work out for the Israelites turn to Judges chapter 2 and we see what happened Moses died Joshua took over. Judges chapter 2. Look at verse 8. We could, well, we could read a lot of this, but we read it And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died. He had distributed the land amongst the various tribes. He died being a hundred and ten years old and they buried him in the borders of his inheritance in timnath Heres, in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gaiash and also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers all the ones who were contemporaries of Joshua they were gathered unto their fathers And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. There arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. How could this possibly have happened? children had not been taught. The parents had been lax in following the instructions from the Lord through Moses. Put them on your hands. Put them on your arms. Put them on your gateposts. Put them on your doors. Speak about them when you get up in the morning. Speak about them when you go to bed at night. Tell your children about the works of the Lord. There arose a generation after them which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for them and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoke the Lord to anger. After everything that Moses had said, he repeated it again and again and again, and the result, a generation grew up who didn't know anything about the Lord and what he had done. You know the same things happening in our own country. Our nation has gone away from teaching our young about the truths of Scripture. How many children do we know who can repeat John 3.16? Who could repeat the 23rd Psalm? Who even know the characters in the Bible? The basic Bible stories are not known. Never mind the Gospel message. A generation has grown up who do not know what God has done. We have a pagan Christmas without Christ. I was reading some little kid in the in the telegraph yesterday his parents took him out of a, a religious education in the school and the master said well he'll, he'll miss out on things. So when the Christmas party came along the, the headmaster said he can't come to the Christmas party. But the local education authority says a Christmas party has nothing to do with Jesus Uh, I mean it's unbelievable so they had to bring him back into the party (coughs) so uh, that's what's happened we have Christmas without Christ it's it's basically a pagan uh, thing now the whole thing we have Easter without the message of a sinful world that, that needs to repent without the Christ of the cross and sadly it will get worse. Nevertheless we must do the work of God in proclaiming the true message to Christians. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's the message of Christmas. I hope we all have a happy Christmas.